Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Australia produces an absolutely massive amount of e-waste. Tens of thousands of tonnes of our old laptops, charging cables, TVs and cameras go into landfill each month, leaching harmful chemicals into our environment. So with the success of so many other recycling initiatives, why is it that less than 20% of our e-waste is repurposed or recycled? How should consumers, regulators and manufacturers adapt to help solve this problem And what sorts of opportunities are out there for businesses to harvest valuable parts like chips and drives or to extract things like precious metals and rare earth minerals? On the show today, we're talking all things e-waste. I'm joined in the studio by Maroof Chowdhury, Senior Lecturer and Expert in Closed Loop Systems and Supply Chain Sustainability at the UTS Business School, and by Lisa Saunders, Co-Founder and CEO of Arnie's Recon, a free electronics recycling business based in Marrickville. Maroof, Lisa, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Stefan. Lisa, what's e-waste? You know, I'm glad you actually use that term because e-waste is what is considered anything that is computers to phones to a kettle, even appliances are considered e-waste. And I'm going to challenge that label, though, that it's actually not waste. It's an old label. It's an old paradigm that's from the early days of recycling but in fact, it's a valuable resource and needs to, and, and the labeling needs to be reconsidered. I mean, you, you mentioned appliances. I think that a lot of people think of e-waste as your old laptop that's sitting sort of in a cupboard somewhere that you're never using that you forgot to give back to your old work or something like that. What are some of the less familiar types of e-waste when we think about it? Cameras are considered e-waste. Mm. Typewriters are considered e-waste. Kettles are considered e-waste iPhones and anything that's an electronic, anything that has a cord is, you know, is a cord. Mm. You know, you look around this room, for instance, you have your phone, you have your remote, you have the microphones, you have the screens and the televisions. All of that's considered e-waste. Mm. Yeah, and also I think the most voluminous one is uh, solar panel, batteries, uh, and temperature adjusting devices, for example, uh, air conditioner, refrigerator, those things are also in large volume, which are responsible for huge electronic waste uh, and disposal of that. Mm. But labeling it as such gives people a particular relationship to it, that it's it's something to be thrown into a bin. It's something that, that can go to landfill. And the reality is, is that there's more there's more gold, there's more valuable resources that are in these these electronics that are considered waste than actually are in uh, the ground at this stage. In some cases, up to 800 times more. Wow. Part of the problem in Australia and worldwide with people putting these things into the red bin is the fact that people think of it and it's labeled waste, and it's not. Yeah, yes. okay. And it's a problem of awareness among the people so people do not much educated how to recycle their waste efficiently and throw it directly to the bin. And that creates an unplanned landfill, which is not good for environment and for society. 
Mm, Maruf, let's talk about how much we actually produce and also why the amount of e-waste we produce is increasing. Electronic waste is gradually increasing in many parts of the world, especially in the uh, first world countries, uh, because of many reasons. For example, the living standard is increasing. People are buying more and more electronic products. Uh, increasing population is another factor. And the other primary reason is planned obsolescence uh, by the product manufacturers. And in Australia, uh, the volume is increasing. Right now, it's around 20 kilogram uh, per person per year. And uh, by 2030, it will be around 24 kilogram per person per year, around 20% increase in the volume within short time. This thing need to be efficiently managed to save the society and the environment. Mm. About 46,000 tons a month. Mm. And that's with the existing players. That's with enterprise-level solutions, uh, companies like Sell and Parker and Sims and Talem, who have massive volumes, but there's still so much more. You have, for instance, at Bunnings, you can go and buy a tool, and they'll say to you, well, I can sell you one that will only last one or two jobs if you'd like. So that's now an option, is breakable tools. And what happens with those tools is because they can't be repaired, they're thrown out. And people often don't realize that they can actually be recycled. And some of them are made with so much poor quality plastic that even then they can't be recycled. But uh, the United Nations estimates that we do recycle about 17% of, of electronics and appliances that are, are, you know, that go into the waste stream. And that's globally. Um, I think Australia is far behind that. But, you know, what's interesting is, is every so often we get someone that says to me, you know, who, who are your competitors? I said, well, our competitors are the red bin. That's really our competitors are the bottom drawer or the garage because people don't know what to do with it. With 46,000 tons, even with existing players in the market, there's still 46,000 tons going per month going into landfill. We don't have enough people who are getting involved in, in it. And, and it's growing. It's expected to be, you know, worldwide, it's 57 million tons now. That's up from 50 million just a couple of years ago. And they're estimating that by 2030, it'll be 70 million tons. And so we're just really going in the wrong way. Mm. Yeah, if I give a simple example of AA battery in Australia, every year, 800 million AA battery is going to landfill. Wow. And every year, Five million computers uh, added in the stock, so and many millions are going to be waste. Can you give us an idea, Lisa, of what the harms are? We've talked about the volume of e-waste that's going to landfill, but what, what sort of problems does this cause? So if you think about what's inside a computer, there's cadmium, there's chromium, there's mercury, um, there's lead. And they leach into the soil, they leach into the land, they leach into the air. And so all of that gets released as they decay. It's releasing into our water table. It's releasing back into the ocean. It's releasing back into our air. It's going back into the soil, which then gets absorbed by the trees and then gets released. And so we're poisoning our own home. Mm. Maruf, let's extend a little bit on the point you mentioned before about planned obsolescence. And it's something that you mentioned as well, these sort of one or two job tools that you can buy at Bunnings, Lisa. Tell us about what it is and sort of how we've sort of come accustomed as a society to have electronics, e-products, and even things like tools that we don't really expect to use for very long. Things have changed. 
the thing is uh, the producers uh, they are competing each other and every time they are coming out a new version of the product and then the older version getting obsolete and the other thing is they intentionally keep the lifetime of the product shorter so that uh, the consumption goes up and they can make more profit uh, so product responsibility uh, is not an issue to them so as a consumer we need to create awareness government should take a step in order to develop some policy in order to force the manufacturers relating to extending the product lifetime uh, i can remember when i was young very young on an average one uh, television set had uh, more than 10 years of life and now it's uh, hardly 2 3 years the cell phone if you think about 20 years back uh, people used to use it for 4 5 years and now it's uh, hardly one year so plant obsolescence is something uh, that we need to think about uh, uh, because competition is going up and people are always producing new newer version just a little bit of new features not much functionality are there and then more electronics are going to the stock and going to waste mm. it's interesting cutler and diamandus in their book abundance they posit that we can have a global world of 12 billion people and still not strain or destroy the earth that it it's not the amount of people that we have it's not even our desire for things it's how we use things it's how we exist within the planet and so wanting to have devices wanting to consume and and wanting to buy is there's nothing wrong with that it's just that we have a linear mentality about how we live and how we consume and we actually need to have that circular mentality the desire is there you know one of the things when we founded arnie's recom i'll never i'll never forget this was on december 23rd 2019 i put a, a little note up in facebook saying free pickup and recycling of electronics and appliances and we had 500 responses and 250 bookings in 2 days wow. and people have have since then i can show you the reams and reams and reams of co- of comments from people saying we we need this we want this we've been waiting for this i hate to 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 throw stuff into landfill so the desire is there and australia's great at setting policy but it's the implementation that really needs to get better the desire is there from people but the the structures are missing from our manufacturers our councils are so underfunded and they need they're under resourced to be able to implement this properly there just needs to be a a a better thought out process there and, and manufacturers also need to to bear the responsibility because right now they've got they've got no one holding them accountable for the way that they're manufacturing mm. and unfortunately apple is one of the worst offenders you know the way they they have their supposedly security systems in place it means they've destroyed the second hand market their devices can never be reused only for parts or only by apple And mm-hmm. so people are not going to give their devices back to Apple. They just don't do that. Yeah, okay. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Think Business Futures here on 2SER 107.3. I'm your host Stephen Postuma, and today on the show we're talking about e-waste. I'm joined in the studio by Maruf Chowdhury from the UTS Business School and by Lisa Saunders from Arnie's Recon in Marrickville. Let's talk a bit more about uh policy and and what can change Maruf. And I think an interesting thing in regards to Apple is that recently the EU is um looking to pass legislation that universalizes charging ports on phones and Apple is pushing back against that as you'd expect but it looks 
wants to be one step in the right direction in terms of policy. That's purely, you know, from the EU's perspective, a issue that relates to e-waste. And and let's talk about this implementation. Here in Australia, we are successful in so many places. Like over the last five years, even we've seen return and earn schemes work really well for things like bottles and cans. In my LGA down in Wollongong, we've got FOGO bins that are picked up every week in your green bin, which means that there's no reason for any household to produce organic waste anymore. That all goes into composting and is recycled. Why don't we have a better system for e-waste, Maruf? Yeah, I think uh, from policy perspective, a lot of things can be done. For example, in many parts of the world, especially in Europe, many governments uh, have banned electronic waste going to landfill. So they banned it. And the other thing is when you import products uh, at the time, uh, you can increase taxes uh, so that the products uh, should not be obsolete within short time. And the other thing is uh, the manufacturers uh, need to take responsibility responsibility of the product and in that case uh, how are you making the manufacturers accountable or the importers accountable relating to the products that they are selling and also relating to implementation of some of the technologies to track how the product is going at the end of the life cycle so for example if you have traceability of devices and if you have system like blockchain technology how are you recycling the products if all those things can be traced uh, then manufacturers can be held accountable in australia some of the states uh, for example ACT uh, in victoria uh, you will see they have banned uh, landfilling of electronic waste i think one of the biggest problems also is the multiple unit dwellings and so apartment buildings we did a trial with city of ride to provide electronics recycling to multiple dwellings. And unfortunately, a lot of people just didn't do it. Right. They put it in the bin because it was easier. And and they literally said to us, no, we're just going to put it in the bin. It's easier. And so I think you're right. It has to start at the school level. It really does come down to attitudes. And the coming generations, they laugh at us. They laugh at the older generations because for them, it's unthinkable to put a laptop in the bin. And so the more the schools are, are getting involved, um, I think the more we'll see you know, the up and coming generation that 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 will change. The mentality of waste is pick it up here and put it there in the simplest way possible. And recycling electronics and appliances is actually very complex. And it requires complex thinking. And it's a completely different mentality, you know, to the waste mentality. There's the new generation of recyclers who come from the sustainability background who come from the sustainability mindset and so they embrace the complexity. We have 10 different ways that we recycle depending on what the item is and we have over 85 different product lines and so that begins to kind of show you just how complex electronics and appliance recycling is. It's not just pick it up in aggregate and do something with an aggregate. Although you can, because you can pelletize everything, and then it goes back into manufacturing, it goes back into in its purest form, and so then it does actually get put back into the waste stream. But for instance, someone gave us a Rolly camera uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that's just a magnificent heritage item. Mm. <laughs> and you know, in, in the wrong hands, it's going to go to landfill, or it's going to get pelletized, it's going to be broken up, and either way, it's a tragedy. We have the Arnie's Museum of Consumer Heritage, so we put that aside and that's gone into the museum. That camera is considered e-waste. 
So you look at it and you think, that surely that's not waste. Mm. The other thing is encouraging from the government uh, for recycling and refurbishment. Mm. So the companies, uh, recyclers, for example, if they get incentive from the government, uh, more recyclers will be growing and more uh, repair stores, more refurbishment uh, startups will be growing. Then when you have uh, availability of that type of stores, that type of service, then people will double think whether I will dispose of my device or I can get it repaired and give a second life of the product. And the other thing is lack of research in this area. I think government uh, should be funding more research uh, to quantify the social environmental impact of uh, repair, recycling and refurbishment of electronic waste and how to add more value out of that and how to recover resources from these type of products. Mm. Lisa, you co-founded one of these companies. And as you mentioned, it's not waste in your books. It's, it's, it's valuable. Let's talk about how a business like yours works. This is a business show. So, you know, here at 2SER, we've got old computers, there's audio equipment, all sorts of things. What, what happens next as a part of, you know, Arnie's Recon service and, um, and how does the business work? So we're a free service, we're free to business, we're free to government, we're free to homes. And and that was probably one of the best and most difficult decisions to make, Mm. is we said, you know, we want to make recycling, electronics recycling, an easy part of everyday life. And as soon as someone has to pull out their credit card, they're going to resist that. So that's the first thing. And so if you call us and say, we've got that, we'll pick it up for free, and we'll keep all of it out of landfill. And so when it gets back to the warehouse, the first thing we do is we look at it and we say, okay, well, what is it? It's a cable. Can it be reused again? No, it can't. It's got brakes or it needs to be tested. We do have a tag and test person, but the volume that we operate at, it doesn't make sense. And so it goes into our copper cabling recycling area. Okay, it's a laptop. What kind of laptop is it? It's a PC laptop. It's an Apple laptop. How old is it? Is it old enough to be cool and then it can be a vintage um, vintage item? And we actually have small business and, and hobbyists they buy those and they will repair them. We even have a 14-year-old who's built his own business and is actually very, very successful. And he buys our beige computers, for instance, right. and repairs them. There are some computers that they're not old enough to be vintage. You know, They're not young enough to be reused. They're not old enough to be cool. And so those will get fully broken down and fully recycled. The, the data gets erased to Department of Defense standards, fully sanitized. Those get fully recycled. Some of them might be used for parts. If it's a laptop that can be reused again, we have a small business person that we work with and they will take it, they repair it, and they then sell it on. As I said, it's, it's a complex model. Absolutely. And so everything gets examined and then it depends on, on its purpose. And so there's, so there's a number of other businesses that you work with, but what happens when something's just cactus? You know, you can't repair it. It's not old enough or cool enough to reuse. You can't use any of the parts. You know, someone's, someone's just put it in the bath for six months or whatever they might have done with it. What happens then? So we have a supplier that we work with and they make sure that every single bit of it is fully recycled. It's kept out of landfill and it's put back into the manufacturing stream. Right. So, and sorry, Maruf, do you want to jump in there? Uh, yeah. The other thing is designing of the product is also important uh, for recyclability. Uh, so if you 
have some sort of policy relating to product design and what type of uh, material will be used in uh, making the product, then it will be more uh, environment friendly. In UTS, we are doing a lot of research uh, in in Institute of Sustainable Futures, in uh, Center for Business and uh, Sustainable Development. We are trying to develop business models. We are trying to develop models for quantifying uh, social and environmental impact and business model how to manage efficient use of this type of waste. Mm. Okay, Lisa, tell us a bit more about your business model. I mean, as a free service, how challenging is it to make it viable where we are currently? Look, any business is challenging when you're not charging for your services, Mm. except you're dealing with valuable resource, but it only works at scale. You have to really operate, you know, we operate between four and 10 tons a day that we process. And you need to operate at that degree of volume in order to do something that's more than just a small business. And so we're in the process of building something that's large scale. Uh, We're not building a mom and pop enterprise. I want to know a little bit more about the life cycle of these e-waste products when they hit some of these other organizations that you work with that you know either pelletize them or extract the valuables out of them and things like that. You know, we're talking about sustainability, we're talking about the environment. How are we looking in terms of the environmental impacts of breaking down these sensitive materials and things like that and trying to extract the, uh, the, the value out of them in a commercially viable way? So often they're closed-loop systems, and so the people that we operate with really have thought that out. Mm. And so when, with a closed-loop system, they do actually manage the environmental impact of what they're doing. I think that's the, the key idea is that when you do something with the intention of doing it with integrity, you actually do the critical thinking about all the impacts all along the way. There are always unintended consequences. And so the things that we have done in Arnie's, the things that we've we've strived to do, is to think as far down the track of those unintended consequences. And so that means that the process itself can't then have the unintended consequences of polluting the air or polluting the water. But fortunately, the people that we're working with, they come from that new way of thinking and come from building a process with integrity. And so, so far, we've managed to stay true to that mandate. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, whenever you uh, talk about circularity, closed loop systems, in that case, you need uh, more entrepreneurs. So so micro enterprises uh, need to be developed uh, in order to make sure that uh, different components uh, can be uh, reused or can be repaired or uh, different things can be produced out of that. For example, in computer, uh, you use uh, electronic circuits and that's it can be again uh, used for um, regenerating valuable metals and uh, you have many devices where you can recover critical uh, minerals uh, and uh, you are buying different uh, critical minerals uh, and processing cost is very high but if you can recover critical minerals from many devices uh, then that have a huge economic benefit mm. but it's also in, on the bo- on the boards themselves so if you you take a computer, for instance, and you open it up, the components within the computer are valuable. People want them. There are gamers, there are computer builders, there are hobbyists that actually want those components and they build their own machines. And so they don't necessarily have to go back into the manufacturing process. They can be be broken down and and the various pieces can actually go to, you know, it's the processors. We're having a worldwide chip shortage. Mm. And so those chips are invaluable 
Um, you don't want to necessarily put those back into manufacturing. Some of them are too old, but some of them are actually very usable and quite desirable. Mm, and the other thing is export market. Uh, so whenever you uh, recover some of the products, you can export it uh, to low-cost countries uh, or underdeveloped countries. Uh, they can um, use those products again, and uh, these uh, products' life cycle is extended. So those people who are underprivileged, they can uh, use devices uh, which are not used in developed countries and going to an unplanned landfill. Instead of doing that, if you can collect efficiently, and then you can manage that for exporting to underdeveloped countries, those people can use it again. Mm. Well, that was interesting. You said that we were looking down that pathway before COVID hit, but the cost of exporting has exploded so massively that it's almost impossible to do so in a cost-effective way. I think part of the problem is once it gets into those countries is that what's the life cycle of it then and ensuring that we're working with organizations or working with businesses that actually then do the right thing and it doesn't end up in burn pits in Ghana, for instance. And so that is the biggest problem is how, in fact, do you ensure that the life cycle of that product is still preserved in a way that is sustainable, that is in that in that circular mindset. There's some really interesting challenges that we come up against in the practical sense. It's always a balance of costs. It's always a balance of consequences. It's always a balance of making sure that your trading partners are doing the right thing. Mm. It's about time for us to wrap up. So I'll just leave it open. Maruf, is there anything you want to finish with? Any final thoughts, what you'd like to see from the public, what you'd like to see from the government or anything else? Yeah, I think from consumer perspective, awareness uh, is very important on the attitude and their mindset. So that need to be developed. Uh, education from school uh, about the consequences of uh, the electronic waste and other waste need to be communicated to the students. And uh, from the government and policy perspective, government need to come forward in order to incentivize the recycling facilities and microenterprises. And the other thing is need to help the manufacturer responsible, importer responsible for their products and also implementing technologies in order to trace how the products are going at the end of the life cycle. Okay. Anything you want to finish on, Lisa? Yes, I'm really hoping that the new government walks the talk because they seem committed to doing better than the former government. And I can understand the mentality of grants and, and funding going to established players because obviously startups and small and new businesses, you're taking a chance. But I think there needs to be increased incentives and there needs to be increased support for the smaller hobbyists, for the smaller companies, for the up and coming. You know, since we started Arnie's, my husband and I, we funded it ourselves. And at no point, you know, was the government ever going to be coming in giving us any support mm. and we've managed to keep on going and I think that there are a lot of other organizations whether they're not-for-profit or whether they're for-profit social enterprises I think there's a lot that government can do on the local level on the state and on the federal level beyond just setting policies and I absolutely agree manufacturers need to come to the party they need to be part of the solution not just the problem also need to fund a more research uh, so that quantification, uh, impact, identification uh, can be possible. So more and more research need to be done. Mm, absolutely. Well, 
So much opportunity there, opportunity for business, entrepreneurs, startups, like you say, Maruf, and opportunity for government to walk the talk and also for manufacturers to take part. It seems to be like everyone has some form of responsibility in order to address the problem of e-waste. Maruf, Lisa, thanks so much for joining me here on Think Business Futures. You're very welcome. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Maruf Chowdhury and Lisa Saunders. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.